I wish I could like pick up a phone and be like, give me this information immediately. That's that's Google. That is- yeah, but it's not as fun as like, I don't know, having a person that does that for you. Hey everybody and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore and I'm joined as I am, well, whenever we're in the studio together by Scott Melson. God dang, it feels good to be back. <laughs> I haven't heard that music in a minute. Well, it's been a while uh, since we've been in here. And it feels, it feels good. All right, so uh, Scott and I are taking a brief pause in between our mini-series episodes. We just uh, wrapped up publishing our criminal justice reform mini-series. I hope you listened to that. Next up is going to be uh, gerrymandering Oklahoma. Or gerrymandering. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, so that'll post uh, next week. I guess that's uh, the last week of the month of August. And uh, so in between here, we wanted to uh, do a quick update because it's been an eventful summer. There has. There's a, there's, there's a lot going on. We are. So in the next 15 minutes, we're going to tell you all about it. And then we're going to have a, an interview with... Uh, the ladies from Sally's List, um, Sarah Jane and Alyssa, uh, we're, are going to be here in studio and uh, talk a little bit about Sally's List because it's a, a cool organization that not everybody knows about. And um, they've got some exciting events coming up. So we wanted to talk to them real quick. So, Scott, uh, right now there are two different groups collecting signatures in an attempt to get on the ballot. Uh, state questions 802 and 803, should they be successful? Um, 802 is Medicaid expansion. 803 is a veto referendum on permitless carry or constitutional carry, for those of you who like to lie to yourselves. Um, uh, Scott, what do you think about Medicaid expansion? Yeah, I think this is like this is really interesting because we, we've got two state questions, like two ballot initiatives, but they're fundamentally different. Like one is a state question that would alter the Constitution. One is a state question that would veto something the legislature did. And that's interesting because there are different signature requirements for both, right? So the state question that would expand Medicaid requires, it's like what? 178,000? What, what percentage is that? Like it's... 20, 25? It's a percentage of uh, votes, total votes cast in the last gubernatorial election, which as you know was in 2018 and we had record turnout, so they need a lot of signatures. Mm-hmm. The veto referendum, and I think this is interesting, requires like 5%. 5% yeah. It's way, way less. Um, that's relevant in this case because we've got Medicaid. Medicaid expansion that's been a campaign that's been kind of a, a long time in the works there's it's it's very kind of uh uh I want to call this this is I don't want to be like um the pejorative but it's a very professional campaign I think running for like Medicaid expansion like it's a very well it's run been planned out it is it is backed by the hospital association it's um a well-funded campaign yeah um as opposed to the veto referendum which is only requires 5%, which is like 59,000 signatures, um, which really was not a thing until like 10 days ago. Uh, like 10 days ago, there were some grassroots groups here in the state that were like, we want to see if we can stop permitless carry. This happened after the El Paso shooting. Um, and they were like, we realize we only have 14 days to collect 60,000 60, signatures, but um, we're going to do it. So Yeah, they've been out there. I've As we were discussing earlier, I've, I've seen them out I've seen them on social media talking about it a lot, and and perhaps notably this week, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt signed it and shared the information about where folks can find it. Also, Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum did not. He interesting. Kind of, he kind of dodged that. Um, however, we as we both know, presence on social media does not necessarily indicate presence in the real world uh i would say most of the time doesn't um so we'll see they've got until monday i think is the deadline for their uh, signatures so we'll see um they've i think i've been talking to some people that are involved with that effort the consensus seems to be i shouldn't say they're involved with i've been talking i've got i've, I've got some sources we'll leave it at that i got i got some people i've been talking to and the consensus seems to be they are more successful than many thought they would be right um I don't know if they're going to get there or not. I think it'll be close. It's curious um, to see if they get it, though. So, so if they if they get the threshold, they uh, they have enough that are valid. They would likely be eligible, depending on how challenges go. I I think they would be eligible to even be on the March primary election. Yeah, I think that's right. 
I also think that if they if it's eligible, like if if they get enough signatures and it's and it makes it and they get on the ballot, I think you'll see some big money come in from outside the state. The NRA. Uh, I mean, I think multiple groups. I think the NRA. I mean, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, has put... In support of it. Yeah, has put... I mean, he has pledged hundreds of millions of dollars out of his own pocket um, to fund initiatives like this. Um, So I I don't believe that his group... In fact, I would would say with, like, pretty pretty high level of certainty that he's not involved in this at all no i think if it gets on the ballot he will be right so his his group is called every town um, that he funds and they I, my understanding is that um some folks from oklahoma reached out to them back in may when this first passed well when it, after the legislature ended and they de- every town declined to get involved and uh here we are you know Roughly eighty days, eighty-five days later, yeah. Um, and I don't know if they're involved now. I don't. I think this is an all-volunteer effort by Moms. Demand I believe Action. that is correct. Yeah. Um, so interesting. Uh, well, so it's that, uh, hats off to them for trying. Yeah, that's that is the. I think in terms of a just kind of logistical perspective, that's the more interesting. Yeah. Of the two ballot initiatives, uh, I think for a variety of reasons, it may be. I don't want to say the the least important of the two, but um, I only say that because I, I don't know that there is a real high likelihood that they're going to get the signatures. So right. um, Medicaid expansion, Medicaid expansion is a straightforward ballot initiative. It's uh, amending the constitution to uh, require the state of Oklahoma, right? It's a constitutional amendment. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah. Require the state of Oklahoma to accept federal funding to fully expand Medicaid. This is super, super important, though, for a whole bunch of reasons. One, there's a lot of folks in Oklahoma that would benefit from this. Like, I mean, well over 100,000 people in Oklahoma would benefit from Medicaid expansion. Two, most of those are in rural communities where hospitals are actively closing, like as we speak. Three, and this is like, we're going to talk about this a lot, okay? And hopefully we're going to have some legislators on to talk about it with them. With our healthcare Um, series. With our healthcare series that will be coming up later this fall. But the legislature is actively working to come up with a quote unquote Oklahoma plan, right? right? So the the pitch is Medicaid expansion as designed under the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, is not right for Oklahoma for reasons that aren't really clear. Um, but we need an Oklahoma specific plan. After nine years of saying no to a billion federal dollars, we're gonna figure out a way that we can go get that money, but do it in a way that works best for Oklahoma. That sounds great. However, this is a big however, the Trump administration has made it a point to try and undermine the Affordable Care Act at every turn that they can. They are challenging it in court in multiple avenues. Um, They are changing some of the regulations that govern the act to make it harder for states to implement. But they are also, and this this is a new development, they are declining to grant waivers even from conservative states. So like this happened, I think most recently in Utah, the state of Utah did something similar. Their state legislature said, oh, we want to get the money, but we don't want to do Obamacare. We want to say that we came up with our own thing. So we come up with this other system. We apply to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. We apply to them for a waiver. And that waiver lets us take the money, but kind of do what we want with it. Well, the Trump administration in an effort to avoid expanding Medicare, Medicaid at all, has started declining those waiver requests, even from conservative states. Now, they're not allowed to re- decline a just straight up Medicaid expansion, right? Like Obamacare is still the law of the land. So if Oklahoma says, we want to expand Medicaid, we want the money, the feds have to give it. Right. But if we go to CMS and say, we want to do it, but we want to tweak it and we want to do it a special way. Mm-hmm. So will you give us a waiver? Mm-hmm. The Trump administration can absolutely say no and they don't have to have a reason. Yeah. So that's, it is a, an interesting thing. And I think what's additionally interesting about that is that uh, we heard, I don't know, in the last couple of weeks that Governor Stitt wants to um, appoint like a delegate from Oklahoma to go be based in Washington. Call it a lobbyist. That's what it is. It's like a lobbyist or ambassador. Governor Stitt wants to hire a lobbyist. 
a, a liaison. No, he wants to hire a lobbyist. Right. So apparently, <laughs> I think I, I swear that I read that we are the only state that doesn't do this. There may be a couple of others, but well, we used to. Walters did it. So like when Governor Walters yeah. was in in office, we did this, right. and then Governor Keating got elected, and he, he did away with it. Right. Right. But I think right now, I think most states have someone like this that is, uh, you know, not a, not an elected official, but someone that is kind of works in tandem with them. Because I guess it kind of makes sense to me that, you know, our our congressional representatives, right, our senators are there to represent the people. And this person, this liaison would be there to kind of represent our government, which in theory also represents the people. But it's like someone that's there can go to meetings, can talk to Congress, can talk to, you know, the National Institute for Health, can talk to CMS, right? And and have face-to-face conversations. So it's not all happening over conference call because as you and I know that's a recipe for disaster. Totally. And I mean and that may that may make some difference. But we have heard um we have heard from multiple legislators in the public sphere. I think I don't I Senator McCourtney is a friend of the show, and so if I'm wrong about this, I will apologize to him next time we have him on. But I believe that Senator McCourtney is on record saying we feel confident that sinners, that the CMS will grant our waiver request. And I guess the question I have for the senator is, like, why? Like, why do you... <laughs> what makes you so confident? Like, what makes you confident? Like, if, if you got, like, inside info, like, that's fine. But, um, and he may, right? That's possible. But the the evidence that we've seen recently is that they're not granting waivers because they are trying to avoid expanding Medicaid at any, like they're not, I wouldn't even say that the Trump administration is trying to avoid complying with Obamacare in any way that they can and declining waivers is one way that they can not right. like, try to mitigate participate. Yeah. So, so I, you know, we've recently had this, the, the, uh, Speaker McCall and uh, Pro Tem Treat announced a couple weeks ago uh, the creation of a bipartisan, bicameral healthcare working group. So we've got members from both the House and the Senate and from both parties that are there proportionally representing their caucus. Um, they're meeting uh, biweekly, right? Or weekly? Uh, I forget. They've met a few times. Yeah, they're either, either meeting once a week or every two weeks um, from now until January. So I mean, there's serious work out of session that is going into this, you know, so-called Oklahoma plan. Um, but I am very skeptical that whatever form it takes, that it's going to be granted by the Trump administration. And the reason that matters is because when Medicaid expansion gets enough signatures to get on the ballot, which they will, mm-hmm. right? And when their ballot, like like when they are on the ballot, like that's, that's, that's going to happen. The central messaging campaign against it is going to be you don't need to vote for this because the legislature is going to pass an Oklahoma specific plan. Mm -hmm. And if the Trump administration is going to veto that plan, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it'll be curious to see because the the expansion petition, uh, state question 802, if they're successful, so they have to have their signatures wrapped up by October something, they too would be eligible technically for either the March or the June election. Um, from what I've heard, they're kind of anticipating that they'll be placed on the June ballot, uh, which is the statewide primary for non-presidential seats. We need to consolidate our election days. First yes. of all, we have way too many election days. I'm, I'm confused and I pay really close attention to this shit. Right. So, um, anyway, you gotta I, get, you gotta sign up to get the tweets. The, if you get, do you get the email from the election board? Yeah, I get the, every, like, every I week. Get, no, not a weekly email. Oh, you gotta get the you gotta get the Friday roundup. So the election board every Friday, yeah. they'll send you a roundup of all their press releases and uh, tweets for the week. Interesting. I will sign up for that um, after I have some brain space to read and one more email. Um, so uh, we haven't said that to our listeners. Listeners, this is important news. I feel like there should be some kind of a. Um, I don't have a good sound effect for this. No, do your breaking news, your uh, your, your news bulletin. Oh yeah, there it is. Nice. Hey, uh, attention, listeners. I am leaving my day job, but I'm going to be able to do let's fix this and related business full time. This is a big deal. This is. I'll, I have an there. applause button. <laughs> I was like, "Where's your applause button? Your applause button was like made for this." I was just trying not to hit the sad trombone. Um, 
So uh, this is a big development in the history of Let's Fix This, and um, it's going to be uh, a big deal. But this will give us undoubtedly more time. I've put it out there on social media a couple of times, but it'll be a big deal. Uh, around the middle to end of September, uh, I'll be leaving my job in healthcare and going to go full-time into civic engagement and uh, get to the business of fixing things, I think. So um, on a related note, as we kind of wind down this, on September 7th, um, we are going to have a community conversation about good governance in Tulsa. Um, me having more time <laughs> means that we can uh, do more stuff statewide. So it's going to be at the Nathan Hale Library. And we are going to um, uh, just have a conversation with whoever wants to come. So if you are in Tulsa or you know someone who is, um, this is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. It's also on our website, let's fix this okay.org slash calendar. If you just want to go straight there, um, but you can go to our calendar. There's information there, the address and all that jazz. Um, we had one of these just uh, this week here in Oklahoma City at the Belle Isle Library. We're going to do one in Tulsa. Um, hoping to do one in Norman, Stillwater, Bartlesville, um, and probably some others in Oklahoma City and Tulsa as well. Um, we just want to hear from you. Like we want to, I want to meet you. We want to talk about some things that are, you know, things that are on our agenda. Um, we're partnering with the League of Women Voters for this stuff. Uh, because there seems to be a few topics that keep bubbling up to the surface about how to, what can we do to fix our government so that it works better, right? That it's less partisan, less divided, more fair, more transparent. Um, and it seems like it may come down to us, the people, that have to make this happen because those folks are not going to do it themselves. So that's on uh, 9-7. Go, again, go to our website and uh, Facebook and check that out. And then also... Um, this is another uh, important thing. I'm going to play the news sound effect. Two news, two news break, breaking news uh, updates on because this is the first place we've said it. We haven't put it out there yet. This is not on the website just yet. But on September 24th, that is a Tuesday. It's National Voter Registration Day. That evening, uh, we're going to be at New State Burgers in the Plaza District in Oklahoma City um, for a live podcast. It is going to be a great night. We're going to have uh, we're going to have some games. Hopefully, we're going to have some guests. Uh, we're going to talk a lot. Um, New State. If you've not if you've not been to New State yet, you need to check it out. One because like New State, right? That's kind of like what we're about here at uh, Let's New Fix This. Also because they have a like uh, I don't want to make you believe something. They have a freaking awesome burger. The burger is solid, as are the fries and the. Uh, the fried chicken thighs. They got a rotating cocktail menu. They got a bartender's choice. They got this stuff. They got this. Uh, they got this milk punch. That's like, huh. I don't. I can't uh, get over that. Term. Uh, it's uh, it's it's like life changing. Like <laughs> this shit's so good. Um, so if you haven't checked out New State yet, you absolutely need to do that. However, uh, you can also make sure that you're there with us on September 24th. It is going to be a great time. I'll put that on the website and Facebook probably over the weekend, but. Um I got to make some graphics, but yeah, invite your friends. It should be a fun time. We'll do some giveaways too. Maybe some democracy bingo. Some swag. Swag. We just have t-shirts and koozies. And we'll get some better pins. swag. We should, we could, we got some time. We could we get some pins <laughs> something, some kind of coasters. Well, One day we'll have enough funding. We can get challenge coins. Yes. That'd be terrific. All right. Well, uh, on that note, let's uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, we will visit with Sally's list. Hey everyone, we're back and we're joined uh, right now by Sarah Jane and Alyssa. Hello. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Somehow, Scott, we've managed to go almost 100 episodes of our podcast and not have Sally's List on. That is uh, a misstep. Major on oversight our on our part. <laughs> we we, we should be doing it better. Hey, it is what it is. Well, better late than never. True. So uh, it's probably a good idea then to start at the beginning and have you all tell us a little bit about who Sally's List is and what you do. Okay. Well, uh, I founded Sally's List in 2010. I had been on the board of Planned Parenthood where I met a, a lovely woman named Sally Mock. 
She was the top of her class at OU Law School and was a partner at McPhee Taft. Um, we started doing some fundraising at that point for pro-choice legislative candidates, male or female. We had some PACs going. Uh, we went through one election cycle and decided I didn't want to have anything further to do with <laughs> politics. Um, she passed away very suddenly right after Obama was elected, sadly. And uh, someone came to me and said, there's a group in Texas that recruits and trains uh, Democrat pro-choice women to run for office. Um, I think you need to do the same thing here. So this was at a meeting in Stroud, Oklahoma, because three people came from Tulsa, three came from OKC. We played with the idea. We decided to name it after Sally if her family agreed, which they did. Um, but on the way home in the car, one of the women uh, who I'd brought along said, look, I, I, I think you, this needs to be a multi-issue organization, and I think it needs to be nonpartisan because uh, there are many more problems than just reproductive health in Oklahoma, and you can't just leave them on the roadside and go with one. And it would be really nice to give non-Democrat women the opportunity to be progressive in their views. Uh, or in, it, 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 once elected to office in, in their decisions. Um, so started it, started early, didn't do much in the first cycle. It would have been uh, 2010, 2012, we got a couple candidates uh, on the ballot. Um, 2014, a couple more in office. 2016, um, and in 2015, Kendra Horn joined us as our executive director. 2016, we got another three or four, so it was very slow growth. And then 2018 was crazy. Yeah, you um, guys, you had a, a lot of candidates last year. Well, we, we had 45 that we endorsed. <laughs> um, we won't do that again. We're, we're raising the bar a little bit on requirements um, that they, they have to fulfill before we endorse. But we had 18 wins, so we had... It was a wow. watershed yeah, year. it was wow. crazy. Yeah. We had, I mean, 18 to 45, that's like... that's batting like well over 300 right yeah. I mean that's it, a that's a hall of fame record yeah like, I was up until a couple months before uh I thought well at best case we'll have 10 wins so we had 10 new women into the legislature two were Sally's list incumbents who were reelected. uh we had two or three city council candidates and we picked up a couple more because those elections are all over the place mm -hmm. calendar wise um we had our first county commission win which was Carrie Bloomert here in Oklahoma City and then we had our first judicial win, which was Heather Coyle. Um, so yeah, it was a phenomenal year. I mean, it just, for us, we sat on the couch on election, on the couch in my house with our computers in our laps, sort of, uh, and then watching Kendra, which was, you know, we were watching national coverage and we kept looking at each other and they're going, Is this Whoa, really happening We right have a surprise like win in my Wyoming. And we said, do they not notice what's going on in Oklahoma? Right. It took them a long time to catch on. So we had a great year. Um, and, you know, we've just been building the organization gradually over nine years and changing the way our training works because now we have a lot more women than we used to. So we had to formalize the training a bit more. Um, but we're, we're very proud. We, we uh, overnight on election night went from 49th in the country uh, per capita women in the legislature to 42nd. It's pretty um, solid. Yeah, it went from 12% to almost to 21%. So you mentioned being like nonpartisan, but also progressive. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a nonpartisan progressive woman okay. candidate? Sure. I mean, we've worked with independents and we've worked with Republicans, mostly with Democrats, because that's that's kind of how it goes on issues. But um, uh, our unifying issues, and I ask Alyssa to chime in because I forget after two of them, but um, reproductive health, uh, education infrastructure, uh, incarceration reform is huge for us and it's huge for a lot of our candidates. Um, what am I missing now? I always forget. Uh, Just as you looked at me, it went out of my head. Yeah, so uh, we have healthcare, education, um, economic opportunity and diversity and incarceration reform. Those are the four. And we, we have in the past said we are in favor of common sense gun control, but we had a donor a new donor say to us, that doesn't mean anything. And it's true. It doesn't it's, mean anything. So that's an issue we will revisit with the board and come up with a really um, exact definition of what that means for us. That's, that's interesting that you say that because 
in the last couple of weeks, I've met with a whole bunch of, uh, of organizations in Oklahoma that are kind of working in the political space in one way or another. And I would say half of them, more than half of them in that meeting said, you know what, this year we're going to make a more concerted effort, not necessarily about gun control, but that they, whatever the issue is, they have been kind of towing a line of ambiguity and they're like, going into next session, we're going to be direct and we're just going to do whatever it is that we feel like we need to do unapologetically. And it was one or two is fine, but after like 10 different organizations yeah. said it, I was like, well, this well, next year could be interesting if well, everyone really comes out and says, this is who we are and this is what we stand for. We have candidates who own guns. So it's a reality. I mean, we're, we are definitely not uh, in the camp of take away everyone's guns. Um, but obviously there are issues, especially right now in Oklahoma, about uh, accessibility and ability to carry in public, which is, you know, with the opening of Scissor Tail Park is obviously a huge issue right now. So, right. but we really, you know, it, it's easy when you say reproductive health, people go, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, incarceration reform, yeah, yeah. But gun control is different and people are demanding um, a, a very well thought out um position position on it and we are happy to go there so 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 is it correct to say then that when you guys are looking at candidates to 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 have your endorsement you are not you're not looking at party you're looking at these are the issues that are that are our values as an organization and we're looking for candidates that are working towards our values on those issues and that's kind of what you would define as a progressive candidate is that well, when someone reaches out, we, we meet candidates in three different spots. Um, we recruit some, and when we recruit, the, the, we have a, a, a application that, that has a one to five on all of these issues. Um, from statements relating to them. Statements relating to the issues. Um, some candidates come to us, so they want to run. Um, that Those first two groups we will then train. Uh, and then the third group are candidates who find us during endorsement period, because there are people who still don't know about us. And what we did last time was we, we really put the word out that we were looking for people who might want to be endorsed. Um, but every step of that way, they have to be at that spot. It's it's not like, this is, I think I feel this way, and if you endorse me, I think I can come to a decision. That's That doesn't work with us. Um, it's been problematic with, with a couple of uh, people who won in the past, so we're very firm on it now. So, so just like we said a minute ago, that there's organizations that are becoming more, I don't know, forthright or clear about their policy stances. You were seeking candidates that are also pretty clear on their policy stances. Absolutely. Yes. I think that we're reaching a new um, and kind of unique tipping point in the nonprofit and political life in Oklahoma. And I think that on the progressive end, um, there's been enough momentum now that people are recognizing this opportunity to really claim space in places um, and in ways that we haven't previously. Um, flexibility is very important in the political world and the nonprofit world, but I think we are able to look around nationally and see what happens when we become flexible with our beliefs and with the values we hold. And I think it's time that Sally's List and a lot of other nonprofits and entities across the state start actually saying what they mean. And I think that the general public candidates in particular are much clearer on what they believe in and their ability to stand up for what they believe in. Um, in the old days, you know, when I first started out, we'd meet with a candidate and, we'd, and I was so timid and I'd say, um, what do you, how do you feel about abortion? And, you know, like that sort of thing. And I was just afraid to ask the question. And then I look back and I think, why was I afraid to ask that question? I'm not afraid to ask that question now. I ask a lot of other questions. So, and it ends up being a very self-selecting group because they either submit the questionnaire, uh, which is fully with, they're fully with us, or we don't get the questionnaire back. So, so uh, that makes me wonder, do you... Do you ever feel like there's one or two questions on that questionnaire that scares off a candidate that is otherwise a really excellent candidate that you want to work with? I think it's possible, but realistically, um, if someone's a very good candidate, they recognize, um, I think, the avenues available to them to work with us, right? So I don't think that we've framed these questions in any type of way that would be intimidating or would be um, manipulative or um, 
preventative for someone to see the pathway forward to work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we are always open to having conversations with people about um, why they answered a certain way. And we have a comment section available at the bottom for them to full, fully disclose why they might have made certain choices on that questionnaire. But um, we have parameters for what we will um, accept when it comes to people who want to work with us. And I think that we've reached a point where we can start saying no to people and not feel bad about it. And that's a really big step for any organization, but also for us as women, you know? Yeah. And we are, I'm very soft hearted. So it took me a while to be able to say no. So let me start at the beginning. If someone contacts us and says, I want to run, they tell us where they live. They tell us what they're interested in running for. Well, we had a woman the other day and she's rural Oklahoma her House and Senate district, she's a Dem, um, are about 20% Democratic registration. Mm. Um, so I, I wrote her back and I said, um, these are non-viable. And, and we, we no longer work in non-viable areas, either past performance viability or registration. Because you'll have, in the last election, there were a lot of uh, several districts with 30% Democrat registration, but the Democrat won. Mm. Um, so we will now look at past performance. But... Um, I wrote back and I said, let's look at school board and city council. We always want to try to find something that they can run for, some way to get involved. If they can't run for anything, we try to find a place where they can volunteer their time and make a difference. Well, and that can change viability too, right? Like it may be that a state legislative seat uh, is not like a realistic option right now in a district like that, but you get somebody on the city council or you get them, you know, uh, on the school board and they just, you know, do a bang up job, make maybe two, four, six years down the road. Mm-hmm. There's name recognition, exactly. the political landscape changes, like things are constantly right. I mean, things are constantly changing. Um, and so, you know, it, our elected officials keep doing really stupid things. And so you never know when the next special election is going to be. So God yeah. bless you for saying it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we keep our eyes on the news. All who, the thinks, time. Who, who thinks we're going to have one in broken arrow here? for Yeah. You? Oh my <laughs> God. Yeah. Well, and yeah. Scott, you and I haven't talked about this, but um, as our listeners know, we're both big fans of the 538 Politics Podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing my new 538 t-shirt yeah, today just are, for you. I'm jealous. Uh, it's so soft. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a week or two ago, they had an episode and Claire Malone on there said, yeah, I think it was one of their live episodes, but she said, you know, someone should tell these candidates, right, that she was speaking about the Democratic presidential candidates where there's approximately 300 of them and that, that some of them her debate night yeah, yeah. some oh of them God. like should, yeah that's right that maybe not everyone has to run for president and she said there's a value in staying in the city council or staying in the state legislature but there's a propensity to run for higher office and she and she was like, i just kind of encourage you if you're listening think about what you're doing and where you're at and maybe that is where you as an individual can make the most change in this world or be the most effective. It's not always like not every city council person is fit to be, you know, in the legislature or governor or president or whatever. And I thought and, it was a point well taken. Yeah. And we, we also ask everyone when we sit with, are you willing to lose a couple of times? Because two or three times, even although three is tough, uh, Claudia Griffith lost her first run for mm-hmm. a Senate seat, came back and won the house seat. Um, we had someone in Tulsa who lost her first time for a house seat and has been on the school board ever since. Cindy Munson lost uh, her first race, and, and not unexpectedly. We actually recruited her and said to her, you're not going to win this time because it was David Dank's last term, and he was there was mm-hmm. no doubt he was going to win that seat. But she ran a really good campaign, and then, of course, he passed away, and there was a special election, and she had such good face and name visibility that she won in the special and has stayed there ever since, um, even though that's a majority Republican district. Um, but yeah, we, we are happy, you know, you may not win. And a lot of times it rarely do we have someone lose (laughs) at school board and then run for the legislature. But (laughs) now that I've said it, what we do have, which makes us a little crazy is people who want to run for a congressional district who've never run for anything before. Now, the same could be said of Kendra, but Kendra worked on Joe Dorman's campaigns. Kendra ran Sally's list, but there are people literally who reach out to us and, uh, and and Kendra's district, CD5, is really the only one that's viable right now. They want to run for Frank another, Lucas. another. Yeah. I mean, there's people that have never voted as adults that want to run for governor. So, oh you know, I mean, it's just, it's amazing what you see. Yeah. God, no kidding. <laughs> what a world. But what they're very world. funny. And, and we were on the phone with someone recently. We said, look, really, 
um, the, your viability, there's no viability for the, for the mm-hmm. legislature. And she said, well, you know, uh, never say never. And we both went, never. never. Right, right. But then we said, let's talk about something else. Right. And, you know, I, there was a woman that came to our event last night that uh, is wanting to run for uh, the U.S. Senate and was trying to oh, trying to get enough signatures as like a petition to be on the ballot. And she was like, I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I thought I'd try. And I was like, well, oh. God bless you for trying. Like, you're not going to get 45,000 signatures in time. But, um, but at, at the very least, my thought was, most people don't even know that's an option. Like people yeah. don't know you could even do that. Right. And so the fact that she knows that puts her ahead of some people. And it was a chance to meet her and talk to her. And um, good, good I, don't, her. I didn't I, catch her name, but good luck to her. Yeah. And we're kind of we're kind of veering into this, but I'd like to go there more directly and talk about the training that you guys, the training that you put your candidates through. And I think to me that's something uh, to me that's something that's important to emphasize because one of the things that I talk a lot about on this show, um, sometimes I think probably too much, but is that like politics, like public service, it is a profession, yeah. right? Like it takes a skill set and it's a skill set that you may not have no matter how successful you've been in the private sector doing whatever it is that you do. And so I'm really curious what you know, I mean, I think there's there's a supposition, I think, especially in red states and especially in today's political climate, that if you have been successful in like the business world, for instance, that that means that you are automatically um, qualified to do literally anything else. Um, and so I would like to know what you guys do to help your candidates be prepared to be professionals in public service, um, not only in the running of their campaign, but to serve once they hopefully win. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you're talking about two different, they, they have to be good at two different professions. One is running for office, and one is serving in office, and they're really completely different. Um, we used to do mostly one-on-one training, but after 2018, it was no longer feasible. There were just too many women. So this year, we've done, uh, we did an OKC training. It was four full Saturdays, um, and it was comprehensive. It started with uh, and most of it is how to run, although we do have one day where um, our candidates who are serving in office come in and talk about what it's like to be in elected office. It's not a, a formalized session, but it's a conversational session. And that helps because that's that they're, they know, you know, they know more than anyone. They know that someone's going to take the wheel off their chair and they're going to fall down. And I mean, it's just all that kind of crazy stuff. But our training is everything really we cover the three most important areas in campaigning, which is uh, field, fundraising, and uh, uh, communications. I can never remember them all. They're only three. Communications. But we also uh, work with them. We have two different women who come in and work with them on speech. One is more the um, anatomy of speaking. The other one is more content of public speaking. Uh, We have uh, someone speak to media relations. We had someone talk about unions. We have a brand new component called uh, spouse and partner management. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, because yes, we all know that there are spouses and partners who do not support their their the the woman they're with in her run for office. That's pretty common. But there are spouses and partners who support them, not support, but they're very protective. And the the women have had to sit down with their husbands or partners and say, "Hey, this is my battle." Okay, let me fight the battle. I don't need you getting on Facebook and protecting me. They um, support them, but not well. Yeah, and it's Best a shame. Intention. They really want to be there. Sweet they babies. really do. So, you know, there are places they can be and not be problematic. So <laughs> we we cover a lot. I mean, literally, it was four full days, and we didn't have enough time. Um, we we're going to do one in Tulsa in two Saturdays in October and one Saturday in November. We have actually carved it down to three Saturdays because it's a big commitment of time. Um, and it will it will be three very, very full days. But um, interestingly, there is a uh, uh, Minder School of Business at OCU is offering a six-week course starting in early October. Um, no, it starts in September, actually. Mm-hmm. Half day Saturdays. And, and I think there are four different pathways. And, and they are... If you're a city council person, this is everything you should expect to do. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to funnel our candidates Mm -hmm. in there because we don't tell a city councilor, this is what you're going to deal with when you're a city councilor. We do encourage them to talk to 
sitting city councilors, sitting legislative members, so they can at least, you know, they, God forbid they get elected and then go, oh, I don't like what I'm doing at all. You know, I'm <laughs> right. sorry I raised $120,000. Right. I mean, that's hugely valuable because I think most, I mean, I would, I would bet money that most people have no idea what their city council person does. Exactly. And two, I would bet that even fewer people know where you would go to learn what your city council person does. Like, how do you go about finding that out? Right. Or even, I mean, and the same could be true of your state legislature, right? Unless you're going to sit down and read the Oklahoma constitution and all of its glory. Like, how do you. And getting well, glorious, more glorious uh, every indeed, day. Indeed. Yeah. I, I sent some, uh, some budget numbers to uh, a member of the local media the other day asking some questions and they said, well, what you have before you is already more than what the legislature gets for budget summary. And so, I was like, oh, that's right. The, the training they get isn't, isn't necessarily robust at, yeah. no. at the state level. No. And, and maybe it should be. Yeah. Yeah, I like to think of our training as breaking it down into hard and soft skills, right? So mm -hmm. there's this hard component of running for office that is kind of like starting up your own business, right? So there's the communications, the finance, the outreach, all of those things, right, that Sarah Jane mentioned regarding um, fundraising and field work and all of that stuff. But there's also this soft side that's about the candidate as a person, right? Like we like to approach our trainings as treating candidates like whole human beings and not just someone running for office, right? So that component you were mentioning, Sarah Jane, about spouse and partner management, self-care. Are you in therapy? Should you be in therapy? Mm -hmm. Like, yes. really, Can you get free therapy? Yes. That's Everyone the should question. be in Everyone therapy. should yeah. be in therapy. But I mean, that's the thing is these candidates oftentimes start their campaigns out on this high note and they don't realize that this is a sprint, but it is like a three mile sprint and you will not stop if you want to win. So you have to condition yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, and then professionally as well to be able to run a really strong and successful campaign. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we follow up the group training with one-on-one uh, -on -one work. We help them uh, develop a narrative. So we basically go through their entire life story uh, from you know, zero to the moment we're with them, covering family, religion, uh, business, academics. Um, and what we find is their issues have grown organically out of personal experience. So when they realize that and they can use that narrative as, as part of how they talk about their issues, there's a much greater chance their audience or their potential donors will say, oh, I remember her. Her parents both had strokes in the same year and they didn't have health insurance and they went bankrupt. Hmm. Um, right. So they're, they're, you know, Claudia Griffith had my favorite, favorite opening story. Um, and she didn't know it was her opening story until she said it, you know, she was talking about her life. And we said, that, stop, that's it. And she Write said, it down. she said, I'm, I'm a nurse. And on the day the Murrah building uh, uh, was bombed, I was a first responder. And I saw in Oklahoma on that day where everybody, no matter what they believed in, came together and worked together. She said, I don't see that Oklahoma anymore, and that's the Oklahoma I want. And I watched her give that speech a lot of times, and there were not a lot of dry eyes in the audience. Yeah. Right. So no one ever forgot who she was. Right. And, and so if they can, if their issues and their stories come from their heart, it makes them authentic, and people are, are just jonesing for authenticity right now and you you're like sorry no you're fine go ahead you are like you are speaking my language right now that's what like that's something else i i believe very strongly that when you're um and it is not just in politics it's just in life like stories are what move people mm -hmm. right like i think that our most successful um leaders in in many many walks of society with politics and otherwise um people who can convey a story, right? Like I think that we as people, like we want to be like, we want to be part of a story. We want to be part of a narrative and we want to be able to see um, ourselves in someone else's mm -hmm. shoes. You know, does yeah, that make right. sense? Like, yeah, and I right. think yeah. that's, um, I think that's wise. Yeah. yeah and to, to bounce kind of, off to of kind of that. that idea of seeing yourself in that place, right? Like we know that imposter syndrome is a real thing, right? We all deal with it, but especially women, I think in the political sphere and especially regarding women who make that first decision to run for office. So part of this exercise is not only helping develop a platform, it's helping candidates recognize that they were called to serve. This wasn't just something they decided to do because they were told they were special or whatever. They've been working their entire life as a servant. 
and this is the natural next step for them. And so they do belong. So they don't feel, um, I'm sure they probably do feel often that imposter syndrome, but they can always fall back on that memory of working with Sally's List, seeing their life mapped out on a table, highlighted and circled and lines connecting everything. And yeah, it's, we, we have a whiteboard a, yeah, table it's a whiteboard and a table. lot of pens. Yeah. yeah, so basically it's just this visual representation that reaffirms that fact that they belong there, they were called to serve, and servant leaders are the best leaders. Yeah. So you guys mentioned earlier uh, your trainings that are coming up in October, but you have something special that's coming up soon as well. Yes, we do. We do a uh, large event uh, every other year. It's non-election year because this is our best chance to hit up our donors before they're giving to all of our candidates. So uh, two years ago, we had Senator Barbara Boxer as our speaker. We had it in early November, and um, even then, it was a little too late. So on October 1st, we're having our first dinner. They've always been luncheons, but it's going to be a dinner at the History Center. And uh, Tina Chen, who was uh, Michelle Obama's chief of staff and an assistant to uh, President Obama and the head of the Council on Women and Girls, is going to be our speaker this year. We've had in the past, we had Senator Boxer, we had Governor Granholm, who had been governor of Michigan. We had Sandra Fluck. I don't know if she, she actually testified in Congress when she was a Georgetown law student about accessibility of birth control. Mm. And believe it or not, in 2011, our first ever speaker was Marianne Williamson. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, well, it was in, I had some board members in Tulsa. Girl, you so on. Yeah, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Love, love, love. love. But um, I had a board member in Tulsa who had a connection, and I really, at that point, didn't know how to find speakers. And she said, I bet you we could fill a room. And indeed, we got 300 people in the room. She gave a fantastic speech. And her last, you know, one of her, her main point that has stayed with me forever is, if we take care of the children first, if the children are fed, if the children are clothed, if the children are educated and sheltered, everything else will follow. And I, that to me, at Dang that girl, time, okay. I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. No one's ever said that before. Well, that's, you know, funny. I, after the second Democratic debates. The one she won? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I saw multiple people on Twitter say, I loved everything she said. I wish that someone else had said it. Exactly. And, I'm like, But what? she really kind of stood like to the side of the candidates and was like, here's my commentary on what these other people are saying and had really insightful <laughs> stuff. And um, I think, if nothing else, I hope that it gave the audience some pause to like, let's think about this in a different way. This isn't a reality well, television were, yeah. show. And they mercilessly made fun of her after the first debate. Yeah. So I think it was, it was great that she came through the second one with flying colors. Yeah. She yeah. had maybe, I mean... I don't want to say the best. She had one, certainly one of the best answers on like racism and like the legacy. Oh my of slavery gosh! Right, in, reparations. In I was yeah. like, get them, girl. For like, sure. g- yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this event is October first. We're selling sponsorships right now. Uh, we're hoping to get three hundred and fifty people. Tickets go on sale September third. Um, we had a really wonderful thing happen today out of the blue. Someone um, sponsored a whole table. It's twenty five hundred dollars. She doesn't live in town. But she asked that all of her tickets go to women of color who are either community leaders now or potential community leaders who can't afford their own tickets. Tickets are $100. I wish they weren't that high, but gosh darn it, that dinner is incredibly expensive to put on. Um, And that was beautiful Yeah. because I'm constantly trying to get the message across to people. Even if you can't come, you could buy tickets or sponsorship because we, we Use give your tickets privilege to wisely. Mm-hmm. We give a, a, a table to the Women and Gender Studies Department at OU. We give away a lot of tickets. So uh, this was really out of the blue and it just made my day. You know, That's we, cool. Yeah. So October 1st. Um, History Center. At the yeah. Oklahoma History Center. Where, and tickets go on sale September 3rd. Where do people go to buy tickets? Uh, the Sally's List website. Uh, sponsorships are available now. There's a the the button in the top left menu of the uh, homepage. It says Tina Chen Dinner, and the website is www.sallyslist.com. And there is org. no org. org. Oh my god, <laughs> www.sallyslist.org. We, and there's no we own com too, but we do. Yeah. It's you'll figure it out. Yeah. Google it. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Super. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been uh, always informational and. 
feel like I'm smarter. And yeah, 100%. And uh, we're sorry that it took 100 episodes. No you worries. know what? We we actually feel like we've come into being this year. Yeah. Right. We had to change so much after 2018 to accommodate a growing group of candidates that we hit our speed. And we're having people who go to national trainings tell us um, they like our training better. So right. uh, as long as I keep hearing roots, that. Baby. Oh, that's yeah. so roots. exciting. Well, yeah. well done. Well done to you, thank ladies. You. Thank you. And thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you so much. You can have us back before another hundred if you'd like. That Whenever sounds, you want. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> we will make that happen. I... I don't know if like reproductive rights will come up next year in the legislature. Oh, I don't know, honey, I don't know either. Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. I don't know if there's any reason to think that they will, oh. but if they do. There are a lot of members of the legislature who were not happy that, that Oklahoma was not first in line with the legislation that passed in other states. In Alabama this and year, Georgia. They're, they're feeling very People are more backwards than us. How can that be? <laughs> yeah. So, but thank you. You're welcome. Thank happy you. to be here. Bye. Well, thank you so much to Alyssa and Sarah Jane of Sally's List for joining us today. That was a great conversation. Um, Really appreciate having them in the office. One more newsworthy item. If you didn't see this today, you need to uh, gird your loins. Apparently, the Russians have built a nuclear power plant that floats, and it's pushed by tugboats, and they are sailing this thing through the Arctic, and I'm convinced that's the way we're all going to die. I... That has zero to do with anything that we ever talk about on here, but I appreciate you're so excited about it. I'm not excited. I'm fearful. We we have nuclear-powered subs all the time. It's a nuclear power plant that floats. What's the difference? It has 235 uh, 235-megawatt reactors. Okay. That's way bigger. Does it have missiles? Lasers? No. Okay. Well, it's not, not a direct threat on my life. I mean, not a nuclear engineer, but I think the submarine reactors are like two megawatts Uh, probably very much much smaller all right well on that note let's end the episode uh thanks for joining us let's pod this is produced by scott and i as a production of let's fix this we're a member of the mostly harmless media network and our theme music is generously provided by the sugar-free all-stars uh let's fix this cares about civic engagement cares about getting you involved cares about making a better oklahoma for oklahomans it's more fair and transparent Um, and one in which we all have a voice and our voice matters. Please come out, join us, stand up, speak up, and remember that decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week.